Welcome to the Church Leadership Podcast, your weekly source for encouraging and equipping local church leaders with your hosts, Mark Ganey and Andy Frazier. In each episode, Andy and Mark sit down with church leaders that you should know. We believe these honest conversations will be helpful and encouraging to you as you lead the local church. Here is this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. We're so thankful that you've joined us for today's conversation, and it is going to be an awesome one. Uh, Before we get there, though, this conversation, I want to remind you, our mission here at Church Leadership Podcast is to encourage and equip you to lead in the local church. And we believe every conversation that Andy and I have and that we bring to you uh, with other people really does just that. And we'd encourage you to subscribe. I know for me, I don't really listen or watch podcasts if I'm not subscribed to them. So if you're watching on YouTube, just hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on your favorite app, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And it is a joy for Andy and I really to bring this to you every week. And uh, we've said this before, but we probably are encouraged and equipped a lot more than you are. And that's why we keep doing this. But we, we want to certainly make sure that we're doing that uh, for everybody watching and listening. So uh, without further ado, Andy, let's get to today's conversation. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast, we are thrilled to have our friend Thomas Fletcher. Uh, Thomas serves in Livingston, Alabama. He serves there at First Baptist Church of Livingston as the senior pastor. And uh, he is also a chaplain in the Alabama National Guard. And we're going to kind of dig into both of those worlds a little bit with you, Thomas. And we're glad that you've taken time out of your schedule to join us this week on the podcast. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, obviously, uh, if if people are watching this on YouTube, at least they see you are in full uniform today. And we're going to get into a little bit of that and um, kind of how that uh, happens in your life and really what God has done through that that area of your ministry. But um, I, a lot of people watching and listening probably um, don't know you or haven't met you. And so uh, we just met you a few months ago and uh, we're intrigued by you know how God's used you and, and the unique uh, story that you have. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story and uh, who you are and really how God has gotten you where you are now. All right. Well, so uh, got got saved at a young age, loved the church, loved growing up in the church, but also really loved the military. Dad was in the Army Reserves, and, um, you know, he'd come home, and I'd just go to, go to war today, Dad, or something silly like that. But So I always had a love for the military, but as I grew up, really just had a passion for a local church, had some great mentors there, what is now Grace Life. Um, ended up just asking God where he wanted me go to college i figured college is the next step and uh got cool good stories led me to university mobile loved it there ended up uh interning some after some denials and uh kind of mentored through internships surrendered to the ministry and uh kind of the itch military never went away but i thought it was gone and we had a uh i think a chaplain come and talk to our school um about being a chaplain and I was pretty much already slotted to go to New Orleans. And I thought maybe I'll do that, but pro- probably not. And I actually um, kind of want to talk about this as part of the story of why I became a chaplain. Um, and I was talking to my cousin who had already been to deployed to Iraq. And uh, he was saying, hey, man, why don't you be a chaplain? And I said, no, I don't, 
I don't want to be a chaplain because you think chaplain, you think Father Mulcahy, you think just handing out some candy. You know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hang out with the chaplain. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, man, the chaplains are great. And I said, why don't you just bring your problems to the psychology person or whatever? You know, I didn't know what they were called. And he said, well, I mean, they're helpful, but I mean, that's more on the serious level. And a lot of times they have to write down what you say. The Army has what's called uh, confidentiality. And uh, with the, the chaplain, like literally court of, in a, in a um, like a court martial, I, I don't have to testify. So any, anything somebody tells me as a religious advisor, like it's, it's confidential for life, uh, even if they're guilty of anything. And some people have a problem with that, but it really lets them in a very rank and structure setting. It's very unique in all of society. So anyways, I said, yeah, so who cares? And he said, no, I was deployed in Iraq and I literally saw a chaplain save one of my soldiers' lives because, and kind of uh, listener discretion advised or whatever, but if you have kids listening, but basically this guy, one of his soldiers went back home halfway through his, his tour and was with his wife and everything and came back. And by the time he came back after a week or two, he had an STD and he was ready to take his life. He was ready to kill himself. You know, nothing's worth anything. And they, they somehow got him to talk to the chaplain and they literally um, saved his life. And that really marked me. And so then I wanted to be a chaplain, but I also wanted to do ministry. I thought I'd be a youth minister. Um, I went to New Orleans, eventually became a chaplain candidate, which is basically like an intern in the either reserves or National Guard. I love the National Guard. Um, God ended up bringing me through that. And so while I was in seminary, also being in the Guard, then became a pastor in Baton Rouge and was a chaplain there in Louisiana National Guard. And then God called me back to Alabama in Livingston, which I love, college town. And, uh, and then I also get to be a chaplain in Florence. So best, I get to be a pastor through the week, one weekend a month, I'm a chaplain, really just pastoring and loving people. That's a great story, man. Uh, Thomas, you and I met a few years ago. I, I got to come down to your church there in Livingston, and it was neat to see you interact with your people and in the context you're in a lot of people who are leading in the church are probably in a very similar context that you are serving in your area Uh, maybe there aren't that many chaplains but there's a whole lot of people serving in small areas rural to rural slash suburban areas and you're you're located near uh, uh, a university there so tell us a little bit about your context serving there in small town Alabama and how that works out because I see a lot of similarities in chaplaincy as I do serving in a, in a local church in the area like you are. Okay. So yes and no, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences. Uh, chaplains uh, don't deal with deacons. Mm. So, <laughs> deacons, deacons can be the best or the toughest. So um so really, you're just more of, and that's what's the difference between a chapel and a church. And that's something I ask my deacons a lot mm. in our church. And that, um, so Livingston is a small town, but it's also a college town. And it's also within the Black Belt, which is a unique part of Alabama with uh, some beauty and some struggle, both economically, racially, uh, historically, um, and even discipleship wise is just some, some unique things there. So you know, being just a local pastor, loving the people, especially in a small town, First First Baptist Church, um, just, just loving the people, being patient. I call it cultivating a, uh, an oak grove, a tree of oak trees. It's not squash plants. Like, 
And a lot of times the seizure planning and the cultivation and even the rescue that, that you do will not take effect for years or decades later. And so you just invest in, in, the, in the slow and strong. Usually these First Baptist churches, I think ours is 187 years old. Mm. You're not going to turn that in five years even. I mean, you're just really going to have to invest and trust God with the dividends. So um, just investing in that. The college makes our town really unique. College students are a tobacco crop, I say. Like um, they rent, they buy, they eat. And so we've had a really awesome college ministry. We've dealt with some uh, just super amount of passion. We've had like 14 college students show some kind of call to ministry in the past four years. But I also call them my bucking Broncos because college students know everything. And I knew them too. But then when you mix it in with their tobacco crop, we don't want to do anything to slow them down. There's some lack of accountability there. And if your, if your church hasn't been discipled, which I've literally had a deacon say, discipleship has never been a big deal for our church, then you're going to run into some issues with leading young ministers, even just reaching young families and younger men. Because we live in an age where your church, if your church does not disciple, your church is dying. So that's right. Uh, that's right. So there are some similarities, but there's some differences. Now in chaplaincy, it is like pastoring a small town. There's like four or 500 people in my unit. Um, but it's also different because you, you get the respect of a minister in some ways, but also your job is just to love people and to meet them where they are. So one of the things that's interesting about being a chaplain is you perform or provide. I perform as a Southern Baptist. I'm endorsed by NAM, but um, I, I don't, but I'm not a Muslim. So I don't, do Muslim prayers or Muslim prayer rugs, but I have to provide for those Muslims, their religious freedom, their religious support. I provide their religious support. So they need imam. If they need a prayer rug, they need a prayer time. Same thing with things that are different for me, like Mormons. Maybe they need a book of Mormon. So I provide that. And you have to have this certain amount of trust in the gospel that God's truth is the loudest. So I'm going to show them the love and respect. And hopefully they'll come. I've almost I've got one guy I'm praying through. He, he's a former Wiccan, and I think we're getting him closer and closer to wow. Christ and baptism. But it's a lot of patience as well, because you're dealing with people who are not just lost, but rarely ever had the truth clearly presented to them. So you just hmm. have to love them through it. Dude, that's good, man. That's good. Um, and I'm. I'm debating. I've got about 15 questions now that I want to ask. But so I guess, you know, for people watching and listening, you know, we I don't know how many chaplains we have. I know I know we have other um, people serving in the military who are part of our uh, church leadership podcast family. Um, but I still know why you didn't ask them. Like I even suggested one or two guys You're like, nah. <laughs> Okay. Well, because I believe God's using you in a unique way. And in fact, the, the next question I want to ask is it's also relatable, not just to those who are serving the military. I think it's any, any person who's co-vocational or bivocational or, you know, um, dealing with, you know, two different worlds in a sense, how, I, I guess I've got a double part question here. What, what are some ways that you've seen it as an advantage serving as a chaplain and as a pastor, and then what are some unique challenges you've faced in those two roles serving at the same time? Benefits are easier, and I, I really think it's a greater benefit overall. There are some challenges. 
um, learned a lot about leadership through the military. Um, and you think a lot of people think it's actually a great myth in my life that people think I'm actually tougher and more directive or aggressive, depending on how you're talking about it, because of the military. I'm actually a lot softer because of the chaplaincy. And, yeah. I, you know, it, but it's funny because people think, oh, you're like that because of the military. Mm, not really. You have to ask people who knew me before. But I've learned a lot about leadership because really, even in the military, you have rank and structure, but you have to find a way to inspire people. You have to find a way to inspire. It. So uh, funerals, even some of the, I, I practiced funerals in the army before I ever did a funeral as a pastor. And so just and, and learning rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal to make things smooth, that taught me a lot. And how to counsel people. I learned more from the military than even seminary. Um, a, a lot of positives and even just keeping my foot in the real world because soldiers will tell me things that church people would never even tell or not even church people that a lost person would never even tell a church person much less a local pastor and so there's a lot of head scratching situations out there but I can kind of got a taste of the culture and just how desperate people are how lost they are and just man they really are sheep without a shepherd now the struggles would include just time management, you know, and literally the accountability to my church and also the accountability to my commander. I literally have two bosses. I don't want to necessarily say that the deacons are my boss, but the church, you know, I have an accountability to God in that church. But also I have to do what the commander says in that unit legally. Like he can tell me to do something. So just learning to, to work um, and, and, you know, so sometimes I'm gone from my church more than I'd like. I have a worked out right now where I'm like a Friday and Saturday, most drills, but this past drill wasn't I've got a budget time. Um, learning how to say no to both and yes to my family is a big deal. My wife would tell you um, that I have struggled with that a lot um, and I've gotten better, but just learning to say no, that your family really does come first. Mm. Um, learning to communicate what's going on with both sides. It, and it's hard in ministry because you want to brag. Well, I was doing this this funeral, so I couldn't show up. That you know, but you do have to find a way to communicate, and then also ask, "What could I do better?" Be flexible. Um, hopefully, it means less of me mm. and more of the Lord through me. Um, and not that I love the titles, but I love the service. So there's some challenges and misconceptions on both sides. People think I do this as a pastor. People think I'm tougher or more of a jerk because of the chaplaincy. It's actually not true. It's really just I'm naturally not a nice person. God has to bring <laughs> kindness through me. <laughs> well, I've been around you enough, Thomas, to say I think you're a nice guy, man. I do. I, I, I genuinely see the Lord at work in and through you. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared with trying to to really have a foot in both worlds is not easy for anybody, especially somebody serving in ministry who's trying to, to carry out and be proficient in what you're doing, which is definitely hard, but you hammered on something I think that is very, very important. And that is saying no to other things. So you can say yes to your family. Tell us a little bit about, now you don't have to tell us your uh, your spouse's name and age or, or your, your, anything like that. But I'm just saying, tell us a little bit about your family dynamics and how that works out. Because I'm sure a lot of people right now are struggling with how to deal with the pandemic 
and serve in the local church, much less how to serve in the midst of a pandemic while being a chaplain in, uh, in, in the armed forces and serving in the local church and managing your family. Tell us, tell us how, how you manage that or, <laughs> or maybe how that, that's difficult too. I think mismanaged might be the better word. <laughs> um, but my advice would be a triage of priority. Um, like my phone's always on, but at the same time, I don't answer every phone call. So, and I tell people if it's an emergency, you need to call two or three times and leave a message. Um, especially because, I mean, I can get a midnight, a midnight call from a soldier who wants to kill himself and literally I, I mean i've made that promise anything you tell me i'm not going to tell anyone else and and literally they'll start the conversation with that say if i tell you, you don't you're not going to tell anyone else right and i said i'll say no but if i'm really going to want you to if this happened they said well i'm going to talk to you but i you know I've, i and just me and that shoulder knew about their suicide thoughts i hate that i can't share it but i love that they feel comfortable and that there's that that trust so what's the priority if somebody's just calling especially around six or seven when i'm eating dinner i'm not even going to look at my phone like i'm not even going to look to see who's calling like the only time i look to see who's calling no matter what is when i'm not with my wife because if she calls i need to say oh this is, and, and i'll tell you her name it'll cost me those bethany i also have to pay if i mention my wife's name in an illustration like it's a hundred dollars some people know wow. that and if they and they'll see me say her name and I winch and they start laughing because they know, oh, he just bought a brand new pair of shoes right there, you know, just trying and just understanding. And my church is so understanding of this, that my wife makes incredible sacrifices. We don't have kids yet. We're trying to adopt. We want to have our own kids. And for whatever reason, God's timing hasn't set that up yet. Um, but, you know, we, we've had family situations. And so I'll just take off my church is very loving and and understanding as far as time you know i was up here at the church till 8 30 last night so that means i might not be in right at 8 30 or 9 this morning i might be late but it's about taking care of the responsibilities i think and it just communicating to the deacon to the the people that hold you accountable kind of what you're doing and asking them their input but as far as and so my wife i'm, I'm asking her like what do you want me to um let go of or a lot of times she's giving the suggestions like is that really where all your time needs to be um just listening and again i'm a mismanager at this when i'm what my advice is and what would be better is just listening hmm. um to what what they want what especially my wife like and and making sure i had a professor who told me one time his wife had to call the church to get an appointment with them mm. that's terrifying scary. that's scary that's terrifying. and he was so embarrassed but she was right she made a point wow don't let it get to that if she calls how are you going to take care of her you get ahead on stuff you mm -hmm. you you know if somebody needs to talk to you but you're supposed to be with your wife that night you just say i already have an appointment i'm booked and you block off that time that's good so, managing priorities and it's like a triage of, you know, because there are some desperate situations. And my wife will say that, you know, this she's like, all right, how bad? And I'm like, this and this. She's like, okay, I get it. But other mm -hmm. times it's like, what do they want? I said, nothing. I'm not answering that call. Mm -hmm. Talk to them tomorrow. Like, what can wait? What can wait till tomorrow? Till next week? 
um, what can wait an hour, you know, like, let's say somebody does call me and there's emergency. I kind of pretend like I'm in the mafia and like my wife doesn't know about it. I go to the bathroom at the restaurant. I call them real quick. Hey, what's up? Okay. Hey, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We're good. Person doesn't know I'm in the bathroom. We're all good. I come back. All my wife knows is I wash my hands. We're good. You know, I mean, just how do I protect her? What are the boundaries from some of that? Mm. She doesn't need to know all the time somebody's struggling. And it's not every week or every day or even every month that I deal with some of these suicide and divorce, those kind of things. But she's got her own life. Fifth grade teaching in a pandemic is hard. We've got our own family struggles. Does she really need all the church and chaplain struggles? No. no. Mm. So don't tell her everything. And I've learned that the heart of mismanagement. All of that is incredible wisdom and advice, not just for those serving uh, as a chaplain or in the military or even bivocationally or co-vocationally. That's just incredible uh, advice for any leader in the church, whether you're a lay leader, whether you're a staff member, a pastor, um, that, that's huge. And I think, I think we lose track of that so often. We think, and, and I'm just going to preach a little bit, we think that we've got to take care of this situation because it hinges on us and only we can do this. Well, that's insane. Um, that's, that's not a healthy view of leadership and, and ministry at all. God can take care of that with or without us. And, uh, you know, he's given us the, as, as Andy says all the time, the, the small church within our household to pastor first. And, uh, that's our priorities. That's, that's fantastic, Thomas. We appreciate you saying that. And really, Maybe a, a big takeaway for me is if I ever call you, I'm just going to assume that you're in the bathroom. So, <laughs> and you can tell him whatever you want in confidence. And he, you committed well, a crime. He, he can't not, say anything about it. So, oh, just soldiers. You're not protected. Okay. Well, there. there goes my plan for calling you after the. Say, okay, you can flush now, Thomas. It, See you later. Yeah, I'll keep it within reason. But if it's illegal, then I have to report it. But in, I'm literally saying in the guard, like you can tell me illegal activity, and I don't. I'm, I'm sure you. you've heard some do who hoosies too. I'm sure you have. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a really, mm-hmm. so, well, so we, we normally close out the, the podcast um, with a word of encouragement. I think you kind of challenge and encourage us there, but you know, maybe for someone listening who is struggling with um, time management or priorities or, you know, even pastoring in a pandemic um, or maybe balancing their ministry and life and all that kind of stuff. Maybe what's something you can, you can share that you've learned um, to just to encourage them to, uh, to keep on trying and to keep on serving, but also loving their family and their church and, and whatever ministry they're involved in. I would just, I've got several things, but I would start and, and focus on first Thessalonians five twenty four says mm-hmm. faithful is he who calls you. He will do it. If he's called you, and and trust me, I'm a, you know, unique is the nice way, but I'm a weird, whatever, like, and I struggle, I've got ADHD, I struggle with, you know, like, some people call it being direct, some people call it aggressive, but he's called me, he's called me to be pastor here, he's called me to be chaplain, and, uh, you know, Brooks said, preaching is truth through personality, and I would say pastoring and discipling is truth through presence. Just mm. be there. Be yourself. Be full of the spirit. Um, we had one situation in chaplain school. Somebody was asking about if somebody confesses 
not that they've been raped, but they're the rapist. What do you do? Do you go and get justice for the rape victim? Like, how do you handle that? And it was, and this, this, this chaplain, um, she said, pastor the moment you have. So you hmm. take care of the rapist in front of you, which is just so gut-wrenching. That's chaplaincy. You're gonna have some gut-wrenching moments. But I would also say church growth is just disciple the moment you have. You don't have everything. You know, look at Philip and the eunuch. He didn't have all day. The eunuch said, what prevents me from being baptized? And like, shockingly, the spirit takes him away as soon as the guy's baptized. Like, we need to have a two or three year discipleship program with this guy like Jesus did. No, just follow and be faithful with the moment you have. Mm. Be faithful with your call. Uh, that'd be the other last thing I'd say. I mean, I got a lot to say, but Jeremiah didn't have a single convert. Maybe Baruch. Okay. He, he ended up influencing Daniel and, and I think Ezra, some others. But ministry, success in ministry is defined by faithfulness. Yeah. Well done, good and faithful service. Just be yourself, be in the Lord and be there and let mm. God work through you. That's, That's good. That is so good, man. That's awesome. Well, man, I'm thankful for your faithfulness, Thomas. Uh, we appreciate you and all you do to serve in the local church and to serve those in the military. We know God has put you there and uses you. And I, man, I appreciate you very much. And I know we have uh, common friends and, and we get to kind of interact with all that, but just knowing how God has taken you through this track and how you have totally embraced this life instead of pushing back against one or the other and you just embraced it and we're, we're thankful for you and there's so many people out there who are watching and, and listening and so many people who aren't who man they needed to hear what you had to say today especially at the end to hear you say those words success is not defined by results that we normally uh, think are these tangible things but it's just simply being faithful so we appreciate that absolutely thomas thanks so much for joining us man Thank you guys. It's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, for the rest of you, thank you so much for joining this conversation too. And we'll see you next time. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and even review our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app.